Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. Samuel chapter 24. I won't belabor the preaching point anymore. I want to get to what the Lord has decided for me to preach to you today. I am a man that's not perfect. Amen? I am not as good as I'd like to be, but I am praying that God helps me be better. But I am a graced man. I am graced by God. And in that grace, He chooses to anoint my life in a very special way. I'm not perfect in any way, but he's perfecting me. Amen. And we can get so tied up and so frustrated over what's unfinished in our life that we forget to be thankful for what he is doing. Amen. And so I want to talk to you for a little while about not only being anointed by God, by his spirit, but letting yourself be an anointed anomaly, something that God can use that was unexpected and unintended, and people don't even understand it, but God can use it. Amen? So I'm going to talk to you for a little while. You'll know and understand what that title means a little bit more. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 24 and verse 1. It said, And it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engadi. I think that's how you'd say that. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men and all of his, uh, out of all of Israel. Everyone say the champions. champions. He took the chosen men and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the, uh, of the wild goats. And it came to pass the sheep coyotes, and by the way, and there was a bunch of things going on here. And Saul went and, uh, and it came to pass sheep, um, I'm going to stop for a second and it came to pass the sheep coats by the way where was a cave okay so there's a lot of caves along the way down toward Jericho in Jerusalem there's there's hills that are filled with hundreds of caves so it's kind of kind of given us the layout of the land here and Saul went in to cover in to cover his feet and David and his men remained in the sides of the cave and the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand. Look at his men are telling him, Saul is here. He's delivered into your hands. Truly this is God. Thou mayest do to him as it seemed good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privately. And came, and it came to pass afterwards that David's heart was smote in him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. You have to realize whenever you cut off a part of the king's garment, it's the same as attacking the king in those times. And so David was convicted and he said unto the, his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto his, my master, the, Lord, the Lord's anointed. I want to say the Lord's anointed. To stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. 
I want to preach for just a little while about God's anointing. And we did have the fourth key to the kingdom to finish. And, and I realize that's there. And I, and I want to preach about the Holy Ghost. But this is what I feel God gave me. So let's pray together. Jesus, I'm going to ask you to anoint me. Lord God, you know my life is surrendered to you. I do nothing lest you tell me, Lord God. And I believe you've told me to preach this word today. So I ask that it ministers to a heart and it touches somebody's life. In Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, putting together, <laughs> putting, I was riding back from San Antonio and putting together this, this sermon, and I actually fell asleep at one point. And when the plane touched down, I yelled out, Jesus, because <laughs> I was asleep. I woke up and went, Jesus. And the lady next to me like, oh, you must be a preacher. <laughs> you yelled Jesus out of your sleep. <laughs> but I started thinking about the fact that there's been so much in my life personally that I could reference here and so much that I've gone through that I don't know how I got through it without the Lord. Amen? Anybody have a testimony in that area? And... It started to become very clear to me as I was reading some different magazines and things about scientific development of food and different things like that. I, I kind of like that stuff. And they started listing off the different scientific things that they've discovered just this year in 2015. They were There's new data that suggests that there's young star clusters out there. And they found a, a new black hole that's like huge and billions of miles across. And they actually found an antidote they believe that's going to begin to start the process of curing AIDS this year. Did you know that? Did you know that they have done tests on some on some primates where they expose them to the AIDS the AIDS virus and and with this particular antidote, no matter how much exposure they had, they never caught AIDS. They have done that this year. They found another antidote that they weren't they would not have found had it not been for micro different microbiology techniques. How many know that science is amazing? I, I, how many know people right now that we wouldn't even have with us had it not been for science? If, if it wasn't for that stint in their leg or that heart surgery they got. Science is amazing. Science can do amazing things. But there's some things that science cannot do. And that is, it cannot calculate a coincidence. It cannot process an anomaly. With every single scientific theory, there is always a coincidence that cannot be calculated. Something that comes up in the process that the scientists just do, do not know will be there, but they will not know until they try the scientific process what the coincidence is. And I want you to know that the church is the coincidence of the religious world. Because while the whole world is doing religion, the church is doing relationship with Jesus Christ. The true church of the living God is an anomaly to the world but guess what God chose to anoint his people and he it's funny how God doesn't choose religion when he shows up he shows up on the bank of a Jordan River with John the Baptist saying behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world I'm grateful he didn't show up in some fancy synagogue how about you I'm grateful he showed up in a place where normal people can be and where average people can be and where Joe smoke can stand on the banks and see Jesus Christ. He showed up in places where the common man could be accessed. Calvary made us a God-controlled coincidence. Pentecost made us an unpredictability to the enemy. 
It truly did. When we were born again of water and of spirit, when we spoke in tongues and we were baptized in Jesus' name, I'm telling you, God did something with us that we cannot truly calculate unless we surrender our life and watch the coincidences taking place in our life, which others would call luck. But I don't call it luck, brothers and sisters. There's no such thing as luck when it comes to a life surrendered to God. It is truly the hand of God working in a very special way. It's unpredictable to the enemy. The Bible even says if the enemy had known, he would not have crucified Jesus. Because that was an unpredictability. It changed the world. It didn't just change what we do and who we are. It changed everything about it. So when you look at David's story, there's so much wrong here that could have been made right. This story that I referenced in 1 Samuel, David had a decision to make. Have you ever made a bad decision? Anybody here ever make a bad decision? Oh, man. How many working your way out of a bad decision? Don't raise your hand. How many working your way out of a bad decision right now? Have you ever made a bad purchase decision? Somehow that credit card just jumped out of your wallet and got in the hands of that, and they swiped it, and, and you bought something, and later on, you know, you just, you regret it. You had that, like, buyer's remorse. We've all done that. And usually it's, usually we make bad decisions on like not predictable decisions that we have to make, but we make them on unanticipated decisions. Decisions where you need to make a decision within the next week or you need to make a decision today by the end of the day. And, and we're trying to process it and we're trying to not make an emotional purchase or an emotional decision and we're trying to think it through and, and sometimes we still make a bad decision. David was in the throes of making a good decision or a bad decision right here in 1 Samuel. He was literally given his enemy. Well, the, the background, let me give you the story real quick. The background is this. David was with his merry band of men, about 200 men. They were fighters. And they were all along this area. And all of a sudden, they hear that Saul's coming after them. And so he tells them to scatter and hide in these caves in the hill. And so David and a group of his men, several of his men that stay with him, hide in this cave. And Saul comes along with a band of his army, I think it's about 3,000 is what they said, of chosen champions. And they, they stop because what you don't know here is if you read it in the NIV, it says that Saul had to use the restroom. <laughs> he had to go to the bath. And when you're a king, you don't just go to the restroom like everyone else. You have to, you have to do that in private somewhere. So normally what happens with us is we just pull off to the rest stop, go on in, take care, and just get back on the road. What happens is he stops the whole parade, gets off his horse, and walks his way up to a cave. But the interesting thing is Saul chooses out of the hundreds of caves that are on the side of the hill, Saul chooses the very cave that David and his men are in. And they see Saul, and, and their, light, their eyes have been adjusted to the light because they're in the cave, and Saul cannot, because of the Arab sun, he, sit, he simply cannot see that there's, there's someone in the cave. And so David and his men, they creep back further in the cave, and they're hiding out. And Saul comes in their cave, and, and, and Saul takes off his king garment and throws it aside and pulls up and finds a place to do business and gets a magazine and opens it up, and he's ready, you know, and he's doing his thing. And no, there's no time where there's a person more vulnerable 
uncomfortable than at that moment. God has given Saul into the hands of David. Even his men are like, come on, man. Don't you see a miracle when it's in your face? Go take the kingship. You're already anointed. It is your right to be king. You're being chased all over like a dog. Go and do what God has given for you to do. And so his men are like, this is obviously the hand of the Lord. Truly, this is the hand of the Lord. What are the chances out of 100 caves that Saul picks the cave that David's in? So David's like, you know what? I, I think you're right. So he creeps up there with his knife and he does the old commando. You know, he's, he's crawling in and there's, there's the Mission Impossible music going, da-da-da, da-da-da, da-da-da-da. And he gets up and as he's going, there's, an, there's this tension that starts inside of him. And I believe the Holy Ghost spoke to him and said, what are you doing? Because that's my anointed. King, the king is the king. He's not doing very good at being kingly. <laughs> he's doing a horrible job at being king, but he's still the anointed of the Lord. And so David has this internal turmoil that's going on. And we see that throughout the scriptures, if you read the rest of this, and how many know that whenever you have tension, it needs attention? How many know that? Let me help you with a decision-making process that will change you. If you go to make a decision and you feel tension in that decision, you need to pause on that decision and take a few minutes and study why there's tension there. Because if you take a pause, sometimes that tension is the Holy Spirit trying to tell you, don't buy that, don't do that, or don't go there. And it may not seem like it's a bad thing or a bad decision, but if you want to be led by the Holy Ghost like David was led by God's Spirit, then if there's tension, you need to pay attention. Okay? Does that make sense? Hope that helps you. That's, because there's, I, have, I have friends that get in relationships with other friends that, they're, that, that they like and they, they look up to, but those friends may not be in the church or not doing things right, and all of a sudden they realize that they're starting to become like their friends, and their friends are inviting them out to party and do different things, and, and all of a sudden they start losing what they were to become like their friend, and they have this moment of decision where you got to make a decision where, do I go, do I keep this friendship that's pulling, that's making me lose what I was with God, or do I let go of that friendship to get back what I was with God. And those are very hard decisions to make. I don't envy you if you're in that place, but I want you to know that every relationship influences you. And your decisions are your story. You have to understand that every decision you make becomes your story for life. And whenever you look at decisions that you're going to make, calculate the options. We all do this, don't we? We all have this internal filter that we walk through a process. We're like, will this make me happier? Will this make me richer? <laughs> Some of you are really stuck on the richer. Maybe not. <laughs> will this make me healthier? How many know you've made this filter, you've made this decision process while you're looking at something to buy or a decision to make? Will this make me happy? Will it be pleasurable for me? Will it... Is it right to do? Will it hurt me? Will it hurt my family? Will it hurt my finances? Have you made that process when you're making a decision? David is going through this as he's crawling up like a commando. 
He's literally reprocessing what he's doing. And the Bible talks about that t tension. You can see it better in the NIV when you read it. I, I, commend, I, I commend you to go ahead and read the whole 24th chapter sometime today, maybe later after your pie and your, your lunch or whatever. But read 1 Samuel 24 and you'll see, you'll see a tension point in his life where he starts to make the decision of, you know what, how can I do this? And he begins to weigh in the balance what's there. See, the problem with us, and fortunately I am included, I'm preaching to myself, is that we think we can control outcomes. Hello, somebody. We believe that if we drive hard, it's the American dream, right? If you push hard enough, if you go hard enough, you get the right college degree, you get the right job, you can control the outcome. The, may to wake, the, the way to make your destiny is to make your destiny yourself. And that is an American theme, and that is not a biblical theme, just so you know. That's not a biblical structure for understanding God. We have to realize that he is in control of the outcome, amen? So what we have to realize is that every private decision has public ramifications. If you're taking notes, you can write that. Every private decision has public ramifications. In other words, your personal decisions will always affect another person personal decisions affect other persons. So when we're making a decision, I, I looked at this story and I was like, look at David here. David's in the cave. David's with his men. His men say, take Saul. God's given him to you. In verse 4 of 24, it says that he, he realizes that he can do this and David creeps up on Saul and then this tension takes place. And the men of David said unto behold, go to the next verse if you would. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote in him. He felt the tension of what he had done, that I should not have done this. And you know why that is? Because David was a man after God's own heart, Reese. And whenever David knew he did something wrong, he quickly corrected it. When he made it, as we all do, he, when he made a bad decision, he knew he needed to change that decision. And so David sees here that I should not have done this because I'm taking my story through my own decisions into my own hands. David was making himself God in that moment because he was trying to control the outcome of how he became king. And he listened to men that were well-meaning men. And some of us have advisors, amen. We have friends in our life. They're like, oh, God wants you to have that car. Oh, yeah, yeah, I can see why God would want you to have that blessing. Or, yeah, you guys should go out more to some finer dining. I can understand. You deserve it. You've worked hard. We've all got those advisors and those voices at the back of the cave, amen. But there still is a Holy Spirit that needs to speak louder than every other relationship. God's relationship with us, his voice needs to speak speak louder than any other voice and David was a man after God's own heart enough to where God smote him and he understood I cannot do this I cannot try to control the outcome because God's in charge of my life I am not and that makes you an anomaly that makes you different from this world the world will not understand why you let things go and why you forgive people and why it seems like you lose when they win, but really you're winning because God is in control of the outcome and he keeps the books in heaven, amen? And when someone wrongs you, God will take care of it. We forgive on credit. 
this is the only place where that works. It doesn't work in the world. They don't understand that. They don't understand our love for the lost. They don't understand why we would give ourselves to people that can't give anything back to us. They don't understand why we would give part of our life to things where there's no, there's no seeming return, but yet when God's Spirit moves on you and has touched you and brought you out of brokenness, you reach for people that are broken because you know you got out, they can come out, amen? Because he touched you, they can be touched, amen? And so God is moving on David's heart here and he's literally stricken him and saying, why are you doing this? And David hears the voice of the Lord and he realizes, I can't do this. And he tells his men not to attack Saul. Don't go after him. And so Saul finishes what he's got to do and he's exiting the cave and he goes down by his men. And can you imagine, just think about the drama of this situation. Just imagine with me for a minute. Saul, the king, enters the cave. David takes the king's life and David walks out the new king. Can you imagine the moment, the transition? All of Saul's men would have, ripped, would have put David instantly up as king because they knew he was anointed of God to be the next king. They would have instantly received him or came out like with, with Saul's head. Like, I am the new king. Oh. <laughs> you know, and all the, young, all the younger people in here are like, oh, that's pretty cool. And all the older people are like, that's pretty gross, pastor. <laughs> I am champion. <laughs> and David doesn't do this because he knows that God is in control of the outcome. And so then Saul gets down near his horse and David exits the cave that Saul just came out of. And can you imagine the shock on all of his men? David was in there. They knew what Saul was doing in that cave. They knew the opportunity. And David holds up the piece of the garment of the king, the edge that he had cut off of his robe. And he said, King, today I could have taken your life, but I chose not to because you're the anointed of God. And all of those men there knew that David was the better man because he chose not to take what he could have taken. Sometimes doing the right thing is difficult. Amen? But I want you to know that whenever we're talking about being different in this world and being something that's a, that's a calculated uncalculation to the enemy, you have to know that you can't just follow your heart. Because Jeremiah 17, 9, if you get that for me, if you don't have it, just look it up real quick. The heart is exceedingly wicked, the Bible says. You need to process what that tension is and that decision that's going on. And I'm, I'm trying to get there because we say things like, I just, look at your last dessert that you had that you justified. I deserve it. Have you ever said this to yourself? That piece of pie, I've worked so hard all week. I can have some pumpkin pie. I can have some lemon meringue. I can have it because I deserve it. I've, I've done so much. I've worked so hard. Anybody ever done that? Or how about this excuse? I didn't have dessert for lunch. I'm good. All of those are actually just excuses. Your, your heart, it's, it's funny, your heart is asking your brain to find a reason to justify what your heart wants. So your brain gets involved and starts creating what you want into a need. And you start justifying it. You have to be really honest with yourself if you're going to make good decisions in life. Because you can fool yourself. You need a golden globe for the kind of, I think um, Joe Zerpoli said that last weekend. I'm sorry. <laughs> I listened to his sermon. You, you can literally sell yourself better than anybody else can sell yourself. You can sell yourself on anything. You can make up an excuse. I deserve it because I've worked so hard. 
I deserve it because I didn't eat. For, well, you didn't eat the dessert for lunch because you know you don't need to put that in your body. If it wasn't good for you at lunchtime, it's still not good for you at dinner time. We make excuses. How about this one? I'm planning to exercise tomorrow. Come on now. Let's get real. It's getting real in here. We have all the excuses we need to sell ourselves on anything we want to sell ourselves on. And it truly is just wants that our heart has. And so the Bible says this, the heart is deceitful above all things. Put Jeremiah 17, 9 up there. Look at what it says. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Another translation says, who can understand it? When someone says, just follow your heart, man. Just, you know, just follow your heart. It'll lead you. That is the worst lie ever sold to society. Because if you just follow your heart, you don't know. Have you ever had someone tell you, I don't know why in the world I ever made such a horrible decision like that. It could be they were just following their heart. Their heart said, I'd love to do this. I'd love that. That looks nice. I want that. And their brain kicks in and starts finding a way to make it a need in their life. Am I getting too real today? The Bible doesn't say that the heart is dishonest. It says it's deceitful. All of us have a dishonest gauge. You can tell when people are being dishonest to you. That's easy to pick out. You know when someone's being dishonest. But when someone's being deceitful, if they're good at hiding it, they can smoke you, they can put mirrors, they can, they can keep you for quite a while not figuring out what's going on. And the Bible says the heart is just like that. It's deceitful. You have to be careful with the human heart. And it can be hidden. There's hidden things and it's dangerous. It's not easily spotted. In 17.9, it goes on. It says it's beyond cure. In other words, the Lord searches the heart and the reins and gives the every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. But in the previous verse, it actually says in the NIV that it's beyond cure. The Bible says it's beyond finding out in King James, but it's beyond cure. In other words, you're going to spend your entire life with this permanent condition of your heart chasing after things that are really wants, that you don't really need, and you have to learn how to make a good decision. David wanted to be king. How would you, how would you not want to be king, running through the hills, living in a place where it's uncomfortable? His men truly thought, today is our day. Put the party hat on. Get the horn out. We're about to have a good that hurts. We're about to have a good time because guess what? Everything is changing. Tonight we feast in the palace because our king has been handed to us and David will be the king when we walk out of this cave and we're going to be heroes because we're his merry men. Can you imagine all the stuff they were thinking? God has given you this. And David said, no, God has not. And he's holding up that garment, being the bigger man. And Saul does not attack David. Because Saul knows that if I take him now, it will look worse than if I had never killed him. It would look worse if I go after him now because everybody knows David had the chance. There's other places where David had a chance to take Saul's life and he didn't. Saul gets back on his horse and they ride back to town. And then what you don't know about the story is because David put the outcome in God's hands, God took care of it. Because he always does, Amen. So about seven chapters later, there's just some random archer in the Philistine army. 
And he does like every other archer. He just fires his arrow off into the sky at the enemy. And that arrow just so happens to find a seam in the armor of Saul and mortally wounds him. You know what? If you could go backwards and play through time, backwards and talk to David at the cave, you'd be like, David, don't take, don't worry about it. God's going to take... And can you imagine the relief on David making this decision? If, if he could co- go forward seven chapters in Samuel and realize that God was going to work it all out, that's the same way with us. Every time we're in a very difficult decision, we have to realize that we can either do the big Ds, make a dumb purchase, make a, cause a doomed relationship, or cause destructive habits with our decisions trying to control outcomes or we can place it all in God's hands like David said and let's say God choose between me and you. God choose between the outcome for my life because literally if God is controlling it, it cannot be stopped. And that's the beauty of a relationship with God that's so in controlled by him is he is the one that makes all the differences. He turns and he shifts and he moves and he makes it all happen. And I'm grateful that he's in charge of my life and the outcomes. So we look back and Can you look back at any of your decisions that you made where you did the right thing? And you said, you know, I want my story to be different. Can you imagine David telling the other story? David, Uncle David, or even Grandpa David. Grandpa David, tell us the story of how you killed King Saul while he was going potty. (laughs) Can you imagine that story? That would be his life story. Every time you filter a decision, do this. I'm going to help everyone here. Filter all the options of that decision and then choose the option that you want to be told by your grandchild, to your grandchildren. Choose the option that you want to be a part of your story. And I choose Jesus. I choose him every time because he makes it right. Amen? Amen. So pause when there's tension that needs attention. Did we hit several of these? Yes, we did. There's several different things that God does in our life. Number one is he gives us a promise and expects us to praise him on the promise before we get the promise delivered. He's, it doesn't work like this, and I'm wrapping up. It doesn't work like this anyplace else. You don't have the Super Bowl party before the Super Bowl. This doesn't work or compute in the world. You don't, you don't go and celebrate a brand new car before you get the brand new car. It doesn't happen like that. It doesn't make any sense. You don't, you know, sh- shout and get excited and have confetti falling from the ceiling before the buzzer basket hits before the buzzer. It do- Nobody does that. It just doesn't make any sense. But with God, this is what he's asking. He says and promises us truth. And he says, I want you to believe that like it's true before it comes true. I don't know why God does this to us except for to give us a space for us to believe him and have faith in him and to make a decision that he's in control of my outcome. He's in control of where I go. Don't try to predict the outcome. Just trust God and have a party of praise and have a party on a promise. And I brought my party hat because I'm going to put my hat on and get out of here. And have a party. Guess what? Greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. Does anybody believe that? <laughs> can you have a party on a promise? Uh, I, can, you cele- can you celebrate? Can you celebrate on greater is he that no love? can? Nothing can take us out of his hand. Nothing can remove us from God's love. There's so much in the scripture that we have to literally celebrate before we can see it. And I'm asking you today, 
Do you want to be an anomaly that's anointed by God? You have to focus on the anointing, not on being different. You have to focus on God's anointing, keeping his anointing in your life, than being the anomaly. There is so many different things I could talk about here. Some of us have had backgrounds that are just scattered and littered with all kinds of problems, and it's amazing we're still standing, serving the Lord with any faith in our life at all. And then there's others of us have been good Christians, have had good lives, have had good homes, and guess what? You're you're still an anomaly because there's still over 60% of homes that are broken right now. Over There's so many kids that are abused and, and hurt. And guess what? If you're a good Christian, you're an anomaly too because there is no such thing as good Christians anymore in our world. There's people that literally are so broken they don't know what it's like to have mom and dad in the home. And guess what? We are all in different battles, but we are willing, truly willing to let God be the God of everything. I'm not going to replace what God has placed in my life. David chose not to do that. And Saul is wounded mortally. And the Bible says he's leaning on his armor bearer, groaning and saying, take my life. I am going to die from this arrow. And the Bible says that he falls on his own sword seven chapters later and David becomes king. Everything worked out. David made a good decision. At the last moment, right before he was going to do the unthinkable, he was like, I don't know. Maybe I should hold on to my anointing instead of worry about this thing that just so happened to happen. Some of us feel like we've missed some of God's miracles in our life. Sometimes there's people in this congregation and in this room that feel like they've missed things from God. I want you to know that if you let God be the outcome, you will have another Saul in a cave experience. You will have an outcome that takes place that God ordains and you don't have to make it happen. Don't replace what God has placed in your life. Let him move it. I know that's not an American thing. Uh, in America, it's so easy for us to, to go after the things that we want and to get them. And all of us have a tendency to buy things and do things that we just desire. But I want you to know if there's something in your life that you're con contemplating right now, leaving or stepping away from or doing differently, please process that. If there's tension, it needs attention. Take a pause Spend some time analyzing what is causing this inner turmoil and let God use you and continually correct your life. Would you stand with me? How great is the genius of God that he intersperses himself and interacts himself with man? I, uh, I told you when I began this message that I didn't, I felt like God wanted me to preach it and you know what? This is a little silly, I get it. But if we had that kind of a mentality, we could celebrate things that people wouldn't understand. And when it came to pass, we would celebrate some more. We celebrated this place before we had it. We stood outside those doors and had no key to this place, and we prayed for it. Remember that? Who was here Wednesday night prayer that night? We claim this place in Jesus' name. And you know what? We were excited about it. 
We had a party before we got the promise. And God gave it to us, Karen. What, what do you have in your life that you'd like for God to make unpredictable? What do you have in your life that you'd like to slap the devil with once and for all? Just get up in his face and say, you didn't see that coming, did you, devil? You didn't see me getting back up when I was down. You didn't see me being, he didn't see me being a pastor. I don't think he saw that, Mike. He could not have possibly seen a kid from a broken home with abuse and a stepdad in jail and all this stuff going on. There's no way he could have seen me trying to do my best to help people and to love on people that maybe some others couldn't love, but yet still being the best pastor I could be. Yeah, maybe I don't do the best, but I don't even care about me. I'm just doing this for him. That's what it's all about anyways, right? Is getting ourselves out of the way and letting him control all the outcomes and let him make the difference but while we're doing that i love seeing god slap the devil with jodon <laughs> i love it i love how god takes my life and beats up on the enemy i absolutely enjoy it every time he does it i, I kind of in the back of my head say didn't see that coming did you devil every time i get back up and grace is greater I say, didn't see that coming, did you, devil? Every time my marriage is strong, when I should have had four, four marriages, if I take the role model from a previous generation, every time my marriage is strong, I say, didn't see that coming, did you, devil? Every time God pours out his spirit on somebody, I'm like, you didn't see that coming, did you, devil? Every time someone gets baptized like Jonica did and like Kayla did, I, I just stood there at the tank, lifted my hands and said, didn't see that coming, did you, devil? God went all the way to Sri Lanka to baptize that man in Jesus' name. Didn't see that coming, did you, devil? I celebrate and I have a party over what God is doing in this place. Even if there's things unfinished, I will not be distracted or frustrate my faith by what's unfinished in my life. But I will celebrate the fact that I'm an anomaly. I'm a statistical uncalculation. They can't put me in, in some bracket because I was supposed to stay down and out. But Jesus got me up and out. <laughs> he took me and took me to a place where I can be used of him. So let's learn to praise him on the promises, friends. Let's learn to be used by God even whenever we're not worthy, but because he wants to take our normal and make it abnormal in this earth. Yeah, I got this message in Texas. Sitting in a hotel in San Antonio, I started worshiping around the little bed in San Antonio. It was a nice room. It was Doubletree Hilton. Hello. But the Holy Ghost showed up in that room and God said, if you're willing, I will make out of you something that the world did not expect you to be. I will make you an uncalculated, anointed anomaly. Don't get me wrong. I, I know there's a lot of destiny preaching out there right now. You can have your destiny. Just reach for your destiny. And the, the scripture literally says that our destiny is found by joining the church's destiny. That individual destinies are found in God. I'm not preaching go after your own destiny but I am saying that the greatest life you could ever live is a life unstoppable because you surrendered everything to God surrender's not easy but I wonder if we could start it here today would you bow your heads with me and would you just somehow find a place of surrender in your heart
Would you somehow tell the Lord like we were singing that song, Better is One Day in Your House? Because until you surrender personally, until you decide I'm going to celebrate even though there's things unfinished that I'd like to see done, even though it seems like God may not have showed up in some areas, I promise you, the Lord is working and He will make it good if you trust His outcome. But you have to surrender personally. You have to give your life to God. It's cliche, but it's true. You have to surrender it all over to Him. Every promise He said He will do. There's someone in this room right now that needs a touch from God. And I can't preach that into your life and I can't convince you and I can't cheerlead you and I can't sell you. But you can convince yourself. You can sell yourself that God has the best in mind for me. And he can control things better than I can. And wouldn't it be great if we could make surrender happen in every heart in this place today? Wouldn't it be powerful if every one of us simply just surrendered our life and our future to God and said, whatever you want it to be, God, not my will, but thine be done. And God takes your life and he takes out the fear and he puts in hope and he lays down the worry and he puts in faith. And he does all this so that he gets the endless glory And when we're done with our life, we look back at all our decisions from this point on where we surrendered. And we can tell an amazing story because we chose the greater glory. Not our glory, but His glory. Someone said amen. Let's pray together. The altar's open. Would you choose a greater glory today? Yeah, you could have, like Bruce Springsteen said, glory stories. But we don't want that. We want His glory in our life. Come on, bring your wife, bring your family, come to this altar today. I'm opening it up. I'm not making any bones about expecting you to be here. I think everybody should be in this altar. Surrendering any of your glory, any of your story, surrender it all to a greater glory that God has for you. Would you surrender your outcome so that He can make you a variable of victory? through Jesus Christ. Come on, lift your hands.